And one of the things that right now is going on at all four campuses is that uh, that the guy up front is saying, open your books to the book of James. So that's what we're going to do. We're in the book of James. We'll be in here until I think about the 10th of April, and that leads us up to Easter. And then after Easter, we, we're working on a study. Uh, uh, and I'm excited. It will be new for me. So uh, we're working on our study, and I think we're going in the Old Testament. I th- well, I'm not going to tell you yet. Um, so, what's that? Oh, it's somebody else. Um, Book of James. And, and, and I want to I remind you, because we always go context, context, context. That's always so important. Right smack in the middle there. It's hard to see. There you go. Um, James is the half-brother of Jesus, identifies himself as a bondservant, and he's writing to the 12 tribes who are dispersed. And so he's writing to these churches. And we get the sense that he starts by, by dealing with the, with the ever-present problem for them. They're the 12 tribes dispersed, so they're, they're probably dispersed primarily a variety of reasons, probably number one, because of persecution. So, so those 12 tribes are dispersed, so he says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. And, and then he goes on, he unpacks that a little bit. We'll come back to some of it today. The key verse in the book of James is James chapter 1, verse 22. Prove yourselves to be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. So apparently, and then and he comes back, and you'll see it again down in verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet he doesn't bridle his own tongue, he deceives his own heart. Deludes himself, deceives himself. So apparently the church was filled with people who were self-deceived. And they were, this is really important now, they were hearers. So they love stuff like this. They, they love to be in a service where somebody's speaking. Let's, let's put it in our context. They'd love a small group. Uh, they would love a Bible study. Uh, they would love to read and, and, and go online and do word searches. They would love that. They loved to take the word in, but apparently there was a problem. They were taking the word in, but it wasn't making any change in their life. So he says, prove yourself to be not just a hearer of the word, but a doer. He's, he's not saying this, be a doer, not a hearer. He's saying you do both. So, so we, we, we grind this point. And, and it really is, it's, the, it's, it's consistent through the, the end here, of, uh, of, of chapter 3, because that's what we're going to look at today, and, and really through at least the first half of chapter 5, it, is the idea is, I should be able to see your faith, that, that if you say Jesus is Lord, then, then it should produce in you a different life. You should be a different husband, you should be a different wife. If you're single, you date differently, you even look at the people that you plan on dating differently. You have a different set of, of criteria and judgment for who you'll date and how you'll date and why you'll date. Uh, you, you are a different type of employee, a different type of employer. It goes on and on and on and on and on. So these were people who heard the word, but they didn't want to do it. Now, last week, last God was really good last week because I got to go to a place that didn't know me and teach about the tongue. It was perfect. I didn't have to do that here where they go, Ugh. 
So uh, <laughs> it's funny, because last, last week, I, I have a whole system of how I work, but the last part of it is Sunday morning. I usually get here between 5.30 and 6, and, and, I, and, I, and I put the end of this together. It's not that I haven't thought about it or read or studied, but that's when I bring it together. So last week, it's on the tongue. So I had every... So Tim Mon walked through and go, boy, this will be a hard lesson. You probably don't have any examples out of your own life on criticism, <laughs> cynicism. And I said, well, here's one right now. But... Uh, <laughs> It was a consistent flow of people. And then Justin and I had a great conversation because then Justin came in there and he said, I hate these lessons because they're all stories and application. And I said, I love these lessons. So it was great for me to be there and talk about the tongue. And the premise is this. If you don't control the tongue, what, what you have is, is somebody who's got a heart that hasn't been changed. So if we stay in chapter 1, if anybody thinks himself religious but he can't control his tongue, he deceives himself. So, so out of this tongue is the power of life and death. And, and so he, he, James, uses the illustration of a, of a fire. And, and, and you can take a fire and with it you can warm a house, you can cook a meal, very constructive, or a, a, a little spark that set a flame. I was uh, last week. I was saying, so you're smoking. So let's just say you're smoking a cigarette in the in the in the up in the forest, and you throw it out. And then it occurred to me, you probably wouldn't smoke a cigarette exactly like this. So it, 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 it's something that you throw, and there's a spark that lights, and now the whole forest is on fire. Constructive, destructive. Now it's power of the tongue. So he said, there's there's a barometer. I'm going to know how you're doing. We're going to look today at verse 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. And my heading says wisdom from above. Now, I don't know if that's, I guess that's part of it, but, but you're going to see here this idea of, of wisdom. Now, I'm going to read this, and, and, and I want to break it apart for you. And as we, we look at it, I want to make some comments. And, and my reason for doing this is really simple. I'm continually trying to say there's some parts of Scripture that are just really hard. Even like verse 18 today, that's just a tough verse. And so you'll notice when we get there, I'll move over it pretty quickly. So, so it's just a tough verse. It's got a couple of, of possible meanings. We pull it together, do the best we can with it. Some of, some of this is really hard. But a lot of this stuff should not intimidate you. And, and so I'm going to read through it, but I'm going to stop along the way. And, and I want you to read this as though you're reading it for the first time. And, and I want you to just make observations. And my whole point here is to say, you can read the word. And this happens to be a particularly uh, easy passage that lends itself to really simple dissecting. But, but you can read this stuff and get a lot out of it without any sort of other material, especially as you get in the New Testament. And especially in something like James that's so filled with just application points. So I'll stop along the way, and I'm not going to get very far. James begins with a question. Who among you is wise and understanding? And then he answers it. Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in gentleness of wisdom. So the one who is wise and the one who has understanding is the one who has good behavior and has deeds that support it. Verse 14, now you look at the word, like a first word, like but, and he's going to give you either a conclusion, more likely now, a contrast. 
So here's a contrast. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and so lie against the truth. So he gave you just a quick, here's wisdom, here's what it looks like, here's a contrast. And he's challenging. And remember, he's challenging these people continually. If you have jealousy, if you have selfish ambition, listen, that's not the wisdom we're talking about. The wisdom that has jealousy and ambition with it, verse 15, is not from above, but it is three things. So see how, see I can begin to see this? It's earthly. It's of the earth, it's thinking typically human, and it's natural, it's just following human instincts, and it's demonic. So one of the great lies is that we're all of our, of our God's kids. We're all of our Father, the one true God, and that's, that's not true. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that prior to coming to Christ, we are children of wrath. We are sons of disobedience. So he said, if I'm, if, if you see, here's the tipping points. We'll come back now. If I see jealousy and selfish ambition, then I need to know that what's driving my thought process is earthly, natural, demonic. This wisdom is not from above. It's earthly, natural, demonic. Verse 16, where there's jealousy and selfish ambition exists, So he's saying earthly wisdom is that. Where they exist, here's how you're going to know. There's disorder, disarray, and there's every evil thing. There's all sorts of evil things. Here's another contrast now, but the wisdom from above. So just stop. Again, just as though you're reading it for the first time, he's talked about the wisdom from above, and and for for sake here of clarity, let's talk about wisdom that's earthly. And now he's going to contrast that. So you have earthly wisdom, wisdom from above. You have natural wisdom, supernatural wisdom. You have wisdom that's demonic, thought process by wisdom we mean here, and wisdom that's godly. Well, this supernatural wisdom from above that's godly is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of good mercy, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Verse 18, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who, who make peace. So, so there you go. There, there's James coming at you, and he's talking about wisdom. He's making a contrast, a distinction here between knowledge and wisdom. We're not talking about knowledge. We're not talking about information, a ton of it. We're not talking about what you know or how much you know. That number and, and quantity should be increasing all the time. More and more information around us. We are continually learning. Jerry Smith did a devotional in our, in our pastor and staff meeting this week on being a lifelong learner and the importance of learning. God put us here to learn. He educated us. There's information. He wants us to learn. But, but here James is not talking about knowledge. He's talking about wisdom. Here you go. What we do with the knowledge. And again, my definition of wisdom is just the ability to connect the dots. It's to see the forest and the trees. It's to see life as God sees it from his perspective. It's not to look with a world material view, but with God's view of the world. So he's talking about this idea of wisdom. 
And he contrasts it, right? Real, really simple. So he says you're either earthly or it's from above. It's either natural or supernatural. It's either demonic or godly. Now, we could ask at this point, which one would you want? And you would say, I would hope, the one from above that's supernatural and godly. But that's not what we're going to do. We're not going to ask you which one you want. We're going to ask you, which one do you have? I assume everybody's going to get the right answer. Jeopardy, you got the right answer. Okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about which one do you have? Well, how would I know? Okay? You're going to look at the fruit. You're going to look at your life. Let me read you these verses from a paraphrase, the message, and we'll pull it apart. Do you want to be counted wise and to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. It's verse 13. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal coming, devilish, and conniving. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or to get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at others' throats. Verse 17, again from the paraphrase, real wisdom. God's wisdom begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It's gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings. Not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other and treating each other with dignity and honor. Now, we know James is talking to the church, so the application is directly within, within this body. We can spread it out to other areas, but he's saying, at least in the body, we ought to see this. So let's go back and break it apart. We'll take about a half hour. He says, if you have this wisdom that's from below, this earthly natural, it, you're going to see bitter. The word means sharp, prickly, pungent. You're going to see this jealousy. And you're going to see selfish ambition. Now, when we talk about jealousy, jealousy is a terrible thing. All this flows from pride. And next week we get into a a whole long description and discussion on pride. But jealousy is basically two things. One you think of all the time. The other you might not. One is this. I want what you have. You have something. I'm jealous. You have something. I want it. There's another side to jealousy. I think it's a darker side. It's jealousy that says, you have something I don't have. I don't want it. I just don't want you to have it. Now, that's really dark. So I'm in an office. I'm in a real estate office. It's not just that I want to make a deal. I don't want you to make a deal. The next best thing to me making a deal is seeing you lose one. See, there's that dark, this is how dark we are. You don't need to say amen, you don't need to shake your heads, because I know it's true. It's not only, I want what you have, that's part of it. You have something that I don't want, I just don't like the fact you got it. So it's this bitter jealousy. 
And it's selfish ambition. He makes a distinction here. There's an ambition, and again, next week we'll talk about it. There's an ambition, I think, that's positive. I think Paul was a very ambitious person. But this is an ambition that says, I just want this for myself. It's a, it's a selfish ambition. So when I have this bitter jealousy and this selfish ambition, I have strife and contentiousness. I'm going to have battles. I'm going to have quarrels. And he said, here's the key to this whole thing. What you're doing is really professing to know Christ, but you're boasting and you're self-centered and you're arrogant and you're denying the truth of what you say. You say this is what you are, but you aren't. Now, here's what you need to know. When you're acting with selfish ambition and you're acting with bitter jealousy, you're acting in a way that's earthly and natural and demonic. So it's earthly. It's of the world. It's the way the world is. It's natural. It's of the flesh. It's who we are. It's demonic. It's not Christ-like. It's Satan-like. It's besetting sin, right? Pride. So I think earthly. I think like the world thinks. I have a worldview. I think like everybody else. No difference. I see things all the same. Natural. So here you go. Somebody, uh, when I was walking around and, and talking to people, people were asking me, how's Susan doing? That's, I get two, here's the two questions I get now all the time. How's Susan doing? How's the new grandbaby? Okay? So let me give you a, a Lucy report. Lucy's, Lucy's drinking about an ounce more at each feeding now. So that doesn't sound like much, but, but Lucy, Lucy's gaining now about a half a pound a week. Two more pounds and she'll be up with me. But she's gaining about a half a pound a week. Okay? And you can see, I hadn't seen her for about 10 days, and, I, and she came in, and she was in, she was in her car seat, and I said to Haley, she's really growing. You can really see her growing. And, and so now, she can kind of look around. She's starting to just cool a little bit. She's about six weeks. So in about another six weeks, right now she smiles, but it's just gas, okay? I know that. <laughs> So about another six weeks, she can kind of look at you. She's she got that, that vision that's about two, two and a half feet, and she'll be able to look at you. She'll start to smile. She'll start to kick around. This is when they start to move, and that's their exercise. Those little legs will be chunking, and those legs will be moving. And, and then pretty soon, she'll be able to get herself over on her, on her stomach, and she'll be like a turtle. She'll be in trouble at that point. You've got to move her around, and then she'll be able to pull herself up. Okay, and she'll be crawling a little bit, and pretty soon she'll start to walk. And then in there, she'll start to make these grunting sounds and these noises, and then all of a sudden, she'll speak. Here's what she'll say. First two words. No, mine. Those will be her first two words. She may throw a mom or dad in there just to make sure college is paid for, but overall, (laughs) no, mine. Don't go in there. No. Sit down. No. I'll have something, she'll say, mine. They all did it. Got five grandkids, two kids, all this. Every one of them did the same thing. What about me? What about me? What about me? It's all about, I saw an ad yesterday. Who was it for? Oh, nuts. I saw the ad and I thought, boy, I got to get that in there tomorrow. But the ad said, the ad, the punchline of the ad was, it's all about you. What is it? TV 12. Yeah, it was TV 12, channel 12. So this is channel 12's ad. You, uh, t- tell me, is this earthly, natural, and demonic? Their tagline is, it's all about you. Have it your way. That's what the world screams. We're here to serve you. It's you. It's you. And so you grow up in that environment, and that appeals to your insides because that's how we're wired. It's all about you. 
me, mine. So it's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. So we come into the world of our father, the devil. Now, now, (laughs) verse 16, he kind of expands on this. He says, where there's jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's all sorts of disorder. There's this idea. I read a great biography on. Um, really, it was a. It was. A, it was actually a, a story of Nike. Phil Knight was obviously the main character, but they talked about the different athletes, and they talked about trying to sign different guys. And 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 Shaq wasn't a Nike guy. He was a Reebok guy. But McEnroe was a Nike guy. And McEnroe has a great line in here in the book. McEnroe said this: "People love success, but they hate successful people." It's that idea of selfishness. It's that idea of tearing people down. It's a value system that's all upside down. So I saw this week, now I don't follow this, I just, it's popped up on my news items. Imagine this is noon. News. Justin Bieber, is that his name? Okay. So he was on Ellen. So I saw, I saw, because I, 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 I watch Ellen a little bit. So Ellen is on, and, and so he cut, he cut his hair on there. And they put the they put the hair in a bag, and, and Ellen put it for charity. Put it on online, and on eBay, his his locks sold this week for for you know remember how you know how much forty two thousand dollars. I'll cut my arm off for a dollar ninety eight. <laughs> I don't even know what I'd shave for forty two grand, but just about it. But, but, but this is that star-struck idea. That idea. And then it won't be long before they try to slam this guy and put him down. So that's how the world thinks. So, so we want to have this. I read the other day, among the 14 top industrial nations, the United States ranks 13th in math, but first in self-esteem. So we don't know what 2 plus 2 is, but we're happy about it, Okay. <laughs> Something's wrong now. Anyway, I digress. Let's forget that. Let's get to verse 17. So there's that. You got that? Got the picture there, right? Verse 17, but. So here's the contrast. But the wisdom from above. So I shouldn't have to say it again, but I want to make sure we get it. It's not, it's not the earthly, natural, demonic wisdom. It's the, it's the supernatural, godly wisdom. Okay, now I'm going to read this sentence, and we're going back to you. You spot things now. This is this is key. Something jumps off at you. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Now, what did you notice as you read as you read that? So the, the word "but" tells us always be looking for those "but" and therefore because those kinds of things. But tucked in here, you see a little sequencing. It seems as though James is saying there is, there's an order here, an appropriate order, that, that at the core of, of this wisdom from above is first and foremost purity. It's the same idea as the, as the word holy. It's the idea of it's free from contamination. So if you are that follower of Christ who is thinking in a godly, supernatural way, the characteristic we should see in your life is that you are pure. Now, that's a word that we've taken and abused. So we talk about trying to get a sound system so we have pure sound, pure gold, 
can't relate to those, but I can relate to this. Pure chocolate. <laughs> Pure. It, 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 you hear it in golf. I haven't played much golf, but the last, I, uh, my play, uh, I have a place in town. It's my favorite place to play. And the, and the 17th hole is a long par four. It's the number one handicap hole on the, on the course. And, and your second shot is, is uphill. It's an uphill green, sloped against you, but it's a hard green. It's hard. If you hit it up there, it's hard to hold it. And, and, and so I had, I remember I had 205 yards to the pin. It's uphill to five iron for the average person. Not me. I got hit a three wood. And, and my friend is there and we're talking and we're just talking. We're playing real slow, just the two of us talking a lot. And so I hit it. I, I stood up very comfortable, very relaxed, very mellow. Got, just got all set up. Just, just, you just feel it. Just feel everything. It was like a harmonic conversion right there at that point. I just sat up. I felt it. And I said, I was playing with my friend. I said, Scotty, I just, I just feel so good over this ball. And I just took it and I hit it. And when it left the club, it just took off. And I said, that's as good as I can hit it. That is a great shot. I hit it pure. That's exactly what I said. So we use the word that way. I'm going to, by the way, I hit it like two feet. It was an incredible shot. <laughs> I'm going to give you four elements of purity in our life. Thought, habit, motive, and the Word of God. Purity of thought. So when we're thinking of somebody pure, it, it begins in our mind. Transformed heart, informed mind. Don't conform to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we'll give it in the whole way we approach life. And, and purity, and, and I'll just go ahead and say it. Okay, for for a lot of us, when we think purity and thought, we think in a, in a sexual way. Now, I won't even try. I won't even try to figure out girls, but but for guys, this is this is just a big deal. So when Jimmy Carter was president, which pretty soon we're going to be calling the good old days, uh, when Jimmy Carter was president, he had a thing called the Misery Index, where he combined inflation and unemployment, and Jimmy was able to get that up to thirty-two. I have something called the lust index for guys. And it's in direct proportion to fashion of the day and the temperature outside. And so right now, I just I went online to look this morning. It's supposed to be 85 at the end of the week. So you're living in Phoenix, and, and it's it's 85. Went to a spring training game the other day. And you could see, you could see it already. And I'm sorry to be this honest about it, but you see girls all over, they're out in the sun, they're wearing the scoop neck stuff, the short, shorts that are, sh- not, not, I, I don't know if for a girl shorts are hard to buy because if they wear it on the knees, you kind of, that's not very attractive. But if you get them too short, that's not very attractive. It's just hard for a girl to wear shorts. So you got all these shorts. For a guy, that's very tough. So I'm at the spring training game with Braden and Yale and Tyler, and I'm there, in a, you know, with my grandkids, and yet you have these girls all around you. Have, you can't let your mind go there, guys. Okay? And, and girls, I don't know what it is. Some of it's material. I'll tell you a great show that reveals thought process, House Hunters. So they'll walk into this room. This drives me nuts. They'll walk into this room, and they'll go, Oh, look, look, look at these countertops. I always wanted... Granite. What a granite. You're 20. You're lucky to have anything. You shouldn't be buying a house, probably. You're the reason the economy's upside down. Granite. You want granite. And then they'll say, oh, look at the appliances. I wanted what? 
stainless steel. Clearly, you've never had to clean these things, okay? And, and you, I, I'm telling you, you just watch House Hunters and all these, you sit around and you watch these design shows all day. And unless it's design on a dime, you're, it, it's the equivalent of the guy going out and looking at girls. You just look at this stuff all day. I want, I want, I want. Okay, it, it's this purity of thought. You can't let your mind, you've got to control your mind. You know what your life is. You know where your weaknesses are. It starts in your mind, okay? Here's the second thing, purity of habit. It's the people, the places you go, people you hang with. I, I'm teaching in Tucson, so you don't, you don't know this guy, so don't waste your time trying to figure it out. So he comes up after the service, after the thing, and he says, uh, I want to tell you something. I haven't told anybody because I'm a safe bet. Number one, I'm from out of town. Number two, I don't gossip. So he said, I want to tell you something. I've had a series of one-night homosexual encounters. And I said, okay. I said, let me finish here, and then we'll, we'll talk. So I said, tell me about them. I don't need to know all the details about that, but how how's it happen? And he took me through them. And, and after like 10 minutes or 15 minutes... Every one of them started at the same bar. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is gonna end up, you're feeling really cocky right now, but we're gonna shove this in your face here in a second. Okay? Because you're saying, oh, if I was talking to the guy, I would tell him, what? Don't go to the bar. So I said to him, you know, I'm not trained in this, but I don't think I'd go to the bar. And he said to me, Tom, you don't think I know that? I'm driving over there saying I shouldn't go there. I'm parking the car saying I shouldn't be here. I buy my first drink saying I, this is wrong. I see the guy across the room and we start to talk and I know it's not right. Here you go. Cause you beat the snot out of him in that illustration early on, didn't you? Yes, you did. You were ready to tee this guy up and blast him right out of there, weren't you? Here's the deal. Everybody in their life has something that when they do it, it makes them sad and it makes them mad and it makes them feel stupid when they do it. You do. You, you turn on that computer. You're waiting for it to boot up. And while you're waiting for it to boot up, you're going, I shouldn't be doing this. Shouldn't be going here. No, I'm not supposed to go here. And I click it. And it gives me a chance. It says, do you really want to go into this thing? It says in the front. Do you really want to go into this? Or, or you, you had that response. You, you, you just see it. You're teeing it up. You're driving home. You're mad about something. Everybody in their life has something that makes them sad, mad, and feel stupid when they do it. It's that purity of habit. Let me give you the fourth one, or the third one. It's purity of motive. It's doing the right thing for the right reason. We, we have all sorts of illustrations, but none better than the Pharisees. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to these guys, look it. He's talking to his disciples. See those guys over there? Don't give like they give. Don't pray like they pray. Don't fast like they fast. Now, look at what he says. He doesn't say, don't pray, fast, or give. He just says that when you do it, don't do it like they do it. Because they do it with the wrong motive, with the wrong reason. So you can be sitting here right now today. And you can be a totally wrong reason. It may be a deliberate thing. maybe a scam you're running. A lot of, lot of, here you go, a lot of guys when they start to date girls. 
the girls will say, do you want to go to church? And you'll go to church, okay? And you're right now dating, and you're here with this girl, and you know in your brain, once you get this girl, you're done with church. No, you're in church. That's a good thing. I hope God just beats the snot out of you while you're here, rips your heart out, changes your life. I hope he does. But you're here the whole time going, this can't go much longer, can it? 41 more minutes. Okay? That's how long it's going. I can tell you. Got to time down to the last minute. Purity of thought, purity of motive, purity of God's word. See, there has to be some sort of a baseline here. So we believe this is the word of God. Don't add to, don't take away. Add or to are easy to spot. They'll say, hey, you got the Bible, but you need another book. Or you need us to interpret it for you. Takers away are, that's a little tougher. They don't teach the whole counsel of God. That, but, but there's a great discussion. We need to understand it, that, that the Bible is the word of God. And if God says it, that settles it. There is a, a man who's br- really brilliant. He's, he's far smarter than I am in just about everything except this. His name, he's dead now, his name was, still is, I guess, Thomas Jefferson. So here's what Jefferson did, because he's thoughtful, so he knew there had to be a God, and he knew that if there was a God, he likely communicated with us, and he came face to face with the power of a, of a divine, and then he came with the Bible. So here's what Thomas Jefferson did. And you can go to Barnes & Noble today, or, or borders, or you can go on Amazon online, or, and I'd recommend this, save the cash, just Google Jefferson Bible, and it'll all be in there. You can print it out. Here's what Thomas Jefferson did. He took the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and he took out two things. He didn't have the courage to say one, but he took out anything that was supernatural, because he didn't believe in the supernatural because he's so smart, and he took out stuff he didn't like. So at the end, the Jefferson Bible, like I said, you can go buy it. And obviously, this guy spent a lot of time on this deal. It would have been a lot easier with a Mac, because he could have cut and pasted his way right through this thing. But it didn't happen. Let me read you the beginning of the Jefferson Bible and then the close. The beginning, chapter 1, verse 1, begins this way. Now it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be enrolled. It's a census. The enrollment was the first which was made by when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be enrolled, everyone to his own town. And Joseph also went up to Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, being then with child. So then it goes to the birth. Nothing, what's missing here? Nothing about the virgin birth, which is the core element of the Christian faith, right at our core, one of our essentials. Nothing about the virgin birth, nothing about the angels appearing to Joseph, none of that. Here's how it ends. Here's the last uh, one, two, three, four verses. Then they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloths and spices as the manner of the Jews in burial. And they were in the garden, or in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never a man yet laid. And they laid Jesus there and rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. The end. 
smart dude, this Jefferson guy. Dumber as a brick when it comes to theological things. Here you go. Here's the Jefferson Bible. You got any hope in this baby? You might as well, and I don't mean this, this sounds so crazy. You might as well read Gandhi. And, and, it's, and it's now titled Jefferson Bible or the life and morals of Jesus. Jesus didn't come just to be a great teacher. He came to die for your sin and rise from the dead. And when you take that out of the Bible, you got just a bunch of going on. Good. I mean, if we live by those Jefferson Bible, we're going to have a better life, better country, better world. We're going to hell, but better. Okay? So the wisdom from above is for, first pure, and then now this starts a, a cascade. We have about 10 minutes here. And, and then it's peaceable. I, I have peace with God, so I begin to have the peace of God. Uh, Jesus said, night before he died, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you, not peace as the world gives. Because the world says, here's peace. Make sure that you have a lot of gold and a hybrid vehicle. Okay? Make sure that you got everything taken care of. Nothing can get away from you. Be happy, healthy. Jesus says, that's not really peace. That isn't even real. That's not life. Peace is in the midst of that turmoil. That's why, that's why uh, uh, Paul says, I, you'll have a peace that passes all understanding. Because you're going to be in the midst of turmoil. And they're going to look at it and go, how can that be? How can you live like that? Huh? Because you have the Spirit of God in you. I'm going to give you this Spirit. Not that life will be smooth and easy. And then relationally, Paul says in Romans 12, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. So he seems to anticipate that there's going to be moments of conflict and, and, and moments of difficulty. And you may do everything you can possibly do and still not be able to live at peace with one another, but do as much as you can. So if I'm thinking in a supernatural way, there will be purity and then peace. And then gentleness, it's strength under control. It, it's, it's courtesy, consideration, moderation. And, and then it, it, it's somebody who is, you see it in there, reasonable. It means teachable, compliant, not stubborn. I use the word coachable. So I talked to somebody who had been to Tempe last week. And had heard Vince teach, and was commenting Vince and Ricardo. I can go. To, I can go down the list of guys who were under thirty. Well, when we when they first started here, were really in their mid to late twenties. But let's say thirty, under thirty-two, including Justin, by the way. I can go through these guys that are under thirty-two, and you got you got Paul Artino and Justin and and Justin Marshall and Tyler and and Brian Berger and, and Ricardo and Vince. Matt Dresback. I mean, this goes on and on and on. And they were saying, you know what's amazing is we have so many gifted people. And I said, no, what's amazing is we have so many coachable young men. Because typically, if you're young and gifted, you're cocky. And so you finish a message, and, and somebody comes up to you and says, boy, that was incredible. I could listen to you every week. We don't need Tom. We don't need Justin. We're, you're, you're all we need. Oh, no. Really? 
I mean, that's how that goes. That's how you're young. And, they, you know, they're just blowing smoke at you. Coachable. So I had a guy last week, and he's grinding question after question after question. I said, listen, pal, I, okay, you're not, you don't want a dialogue. You just want to be a pain. You're not looking for answers. You've, you've, you've talked to a thousand people about all these things. You just want to come in here. And, and, and he said, I'm trying to figure out if I belong here. I said, okay, I can answer the question for you. No, we don't want you here. I don't want you here. I don't want you in small, some small group or some meeting because you, you're, you're factious. Go somewhere else. We're not looking for people like that. You mean you don't want people who ask questions? We love people who ask questions, who want to learn. Well, we don't want a combative, argumentative. People who just want to debate. No, thanks. It's reasonable, and then it's full of mercy. It, it, evidence of saving faith in a transformed life is not only you forgive people, but you have a heart and a compassion for them. Now, I, I wrote under this, it's tender, sympathetic compassion. Mercy, I'm convinced, very few people are born with this baby. It comes from life experience. Because you always think you're the exception to what happens to you. i give you a stupid illustration. I used to hear about food poisoning. Food poisoning. I'm 32 years old. Food poisoning. Oh, I'm so sick. Why are you sick? Food poisoning. I've eaten off the floor of some of the dirtiest bars in the country. I never got sick. Food poisoning. And then I went to Oregon. Right. I ate some sandwiches with mayonnaise. They've been left outside. I got sick and then got on a plane for a three-hour flight back home. They said... You can unfasten your seatbelt. And I went to the restroom and sat until they said, we're preparing for our final landing. In the, and I sat in the toilet the whole time. Now somebody says, food poisoning. I say, hey, you want to talk food poisoning? I can talk food poisoning to you. Chronic pain. I tell Susan all the time, and I've, I've, said, I've said this for 20 years. I wish I could invent something, almost like a jumper cable, that I could hook it to my finger and hers, and I could literally feel her pain. Because it, it, it would make it so much. Because you say, I, I, I have a migraine. I have a headache. I'm really hurting. I have headaches all the time. Suck it up. Let's go. See that? <laughs> Compassion's born out of this, of, really sense, of being able to climb in that other person's skin. It's full of mercy, and the result of that, it's full of good fruits. There's evidence of it. There's good works. It's unwavering. It's not divided. It's not parted. It's not uncertain. It's not indecisive. It's not inconsistent. It doesn't vacillate. It's not doubtful. If you go back to chapter 1, it, it's the very thing when Paul was talk, or, I'm sorry, James was talking about wisdom in chapter 1. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask. God gives of it. But if you ask, let him act just in faith without doubting, not being double-minded. So I'm going in the midst of this, whatever it is. You pick. Now, rather than me give you an illustration, you think of one, something in your life where you want to see God work. You need wisdom. You need insight. Okay? In the midst of that, you ask him now. The faith is not that he will do what you think he should do. The faith is that he can do whatever he wants to do. Your believing him does not obligate him to do anything. 
I'll give you, I'm going to throw this out here right now, and I know how trite this sounds, but I'll give you the, the last, and it always works out. It just always does. I mean, most of the things that you were cranking up the prayer chain for a year ago, you don't even remember what they are today. And if you need a verse for that, we'll give you one. And God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's reasonable and it's without hypocrisy. That's one thing everybody hates. Everybody hates a hypocrite. Somebody who pretends to be something they aren't. And then let me get this. And they're not very easy to spot. Give me a great example. Judas. So the boys are moving along with Jesus. They don't have a lot of dough. They got to give it to somebody that they trust. And the guy that they make the treasure of the place is Judas. There's a scene at the Last Supper that stuns me when I think about it. Jesus is there. It's a somber moment. And he said, one of you is going to betray me. Now, knowing what we know, we kind of feel like there's 11 pairs of eyes that would go, Judas. <laughs> but that's not what happened. They said, it's not me. 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 They've been with, they've been with this guy for three years in the most intimate environment. And yet he pretended to be something he wasn't. Now, you may be here now and pretending. Maybe you were raised in this environment, so that's what expected of you. I think of my kids. I mean, one of, one of the concerns I had growing up is that they were raised, I think, in such a great home. And certainly in, in, in terms of faith, they saw a great role model for sure in their mom. My fear was they'd grow up and go through the actions you know, who made you? God made me. I mean, they got, they're like a little, you pull the string and they could spit every answer out. You know, by the, seven, by, the, by, by the time that they were seven years old, they knew more than a lot of the people that were teaching them. My, my fear was they'd know it all but not have a heart change. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been at this thing a long time, but your heart's never been changed. How would I know if your heart was changed? Here you go. You would first be pure. And then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, you wouldn't be a hypocrite. And the result is verse 18. Let me read it to you again from the message. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. The seed whose fruit is righteousness, so the idea of righteousness, is sown in peace by those who make peace. Pretty soon the fruit of that whole peace around us is sown in righteousness. We see it. We begin to see the fruit. It doesn't mean even in our life that there won't be moments, that there will be a, a sense of faction, there'll be disharmony, we'll mistreat each other, we'll be mistreated. But it's how, how do you respond to that? What's your heart? You know your motives. Are you one of those? I want what you have. You have it. I don't want it, but I don't want you to have it. Are you ambitious? And again, next week we'll talk about ambition. But are you ambitious simply because you want it for you? It's all about you. 
And the person who has this wisdom that's not natural but supernatural is going, it's not about me, it's about you. It begins with purity of thought and motive, habit, and the purity of God's word. And then, because that's in place, you'll see peace and gentleness and good fruit all around you. Now, there should be a sense in this moment and place and time where you go, I can't do that. And the reality is, you can't. But you have the spirit of the living God in you who can accomplish that. One of the great moments, Susan, Susan didn't get to church again today, and it's, it's been a while for her now. But, but she will tell you the two things she misses more than anything are, are, are the ability to worship together. I, and I, I know some of you see that almost as a necessary evil, which is too bad. But the ability to sing songs to the living God together and the ability to take communion together. So if you're in the conference center, you guys have already had your time of communion. You'll be done there. One of the guys will close that part of the service. Pastor's up front. But here, Tim's going to lead us in communion. And then he will lead us in just a really quiet time of, of going before the Lord in songs. See, it's magnificent songs. I'm talking about his, his faithfulness, his certainty. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth that we find in your word. God, I pray that we would be people who would think and act in a way that would not be earthly and natural and demonic, but would be supernatural. That, God, uh, we would first be pure and then the fruit of that present in our life. God, will you do that great work? We know we can't, but you can. So we submit to you, pray to you in Christ's name. Amen.